0: As we begin this series, uh, we're going to launch out from Luke's Gospel. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 23. I'm going to read verses 26 to 27 and 32 to 34. Our custom is to stand to hear God's Word. Thank you for doing that as you're able. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, put the cross on him made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Now we're to verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. May God inspire and instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. They took him to the place of the skull, the place of the crucifixion, assembled the cross there. They took long spikes, drove a spike into each of his wrists, Then perhaps one foot over the other, another long spike driven into both feet into the post, or perhaps two different spikes through his ankles on either side of the post. Excruciating pain, unimaginable pain, lots of crying out as they set the post in place, more jolting and jarring, causing more excruciating pain. You can hear women wailing and weeping in the background. Others beginning to mock and jeer and accuse. Soldiers laughing, mocking, already beginning to cast lots for his clothes. And then with great effort, Jesus takes air into his lungs. Someone notices. He says, everyone, quiet. Shh, shh, shh. He's about to say something. He's about to speak. And then Jesus utters these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. A dying man, tortured and crucified, praying that God would forgive his tormentors. What kind of man does this? Who is this person? It is an astonishing moment i've been with many people as they were approaching death people's dying words sometimes simply express his or her needs for example someone might ask could you please move my pillow or may i have a drink of water sometimes they express a concern for others a final i love you or it's going to be okay a person's final words revealed not only his or her heart at the time, but sometimes revealed the nature of a person's faith and of their hope. My paternal grandfather was just home from the repair of an aortic aneurysm when he called for my grandmother. He was lying in the bed at home, and as she came to the doorway of the bedroom, my grandfather sat up, this was her testimony to us, my grandfather sat up seeing someone at the foot of his bed. Someone my grandmother could not see. And my fa- grandfather's last words were, Who are you? And then immediately fell back dead. Curious, isn't it? Interesting. John Wesley, the father of us Methodists, had at his deathbed all of his closest associates around him. And he said, as his last words, Best of all, God is with us the man who led me to Christ, his name is George Wicks, and George was dying of bone cancer. And I went to his bedside in Lafayette, Indiana, just three days before he died. We had a beautiful time of fellowship and prayer. And as I was leaving him, we both knew that this was the last time we would see each other on this side. And George looked up at me with a smile, and he took his finger out from under the cover, and he pointed to me, and he said, I'll see you. And I said, I'll see you. And I will. Not his final words, but his final words certainly to me. The Gospels record seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. There are there are reasons why he made these statements, and they are important and valid, and my hope is during this series that these seven statements will not only be meaningful to you, but they will challenge you and provoke you and reassure you and, and call you to a greater sense of purpose and a greater and higher calling to the commission of God in the world, and I hope then that you will share these messages and these thoughts with people around you, shoulder to shoulder. That's why we've made these outlines included in your bulletin today that you can take with you and share with others through the week. So on your outline, you'll see the first point I want to make. Jesus' prayer was simply this, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. The question is, who was the them he was talking about? Well, of course, we know there were the soldiers who cruelly tortured and crucified him, preparing to gamble for his clothes. So Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Then, of course, you had the crowd who now were already beginning their verbal assault on him. Luke notes that they were deriding him, shaking their heads, mocking him. So Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. And then there were also the religious leaders, these Jewish leaders who had conspired with Rome to have Jesus crucified. And they are there, perhaps with uh, smugness on their face and their arms folded. So Jesus' prayer was, Father, forgive them. And it's astounding. I mean, really, you can't even imagine such levels of mercy and grace that Jesus would pray for them as he hung on the cross. It's one of the most powerful images in all the Gospels. There's another question here. Was there anyone else Jesus was referring to when he said, Father, forgive them? And the answer is yes. There's a great old hymn that we used to sing in my church growing up. And the lyric goes like this, were you there? when they crucified my lord were you there when they nailed him to the tree and the answer to the question is yes yes you were there and i was there we were all there in fact the crucifixion of jesus christ transcends time so all people in all places at all time were actually there in a very real spiritual sense we were all present When Jesus Christ, not only is the high priest of our faith, but now the sacrifice for our sins, offers forgiveness for all. It's a wonderful moment. And so we find this powerful level of forgiveness offered to us when he prayed, Father, forgive them. Number two, write this down on your outline. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. Forgiveness. Our need for forgiveness and God's willingness to give it are two of the major themes in all of the Bible. In fact, uh, the issue of sin has to be dealt with, and we don't talk about sin much in our culture anymore. We don't even talk about it in the church anymore, but the Bible defines sin as meaning to stray from the path or to miss the mark. All have fallen short and missed the mark of God's best. The implication that God has prepared a path for us, he's put up guardrails, and our tendency is to go outside the path. To get off the off the rail, and 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 so this is this is what happens. We define it as sin. The church traditionally calls on seven sins called the seven deadly sins. These are the kind of the roots of all sin, and we identify them. We call them out. I'm going to go through the list right now. If you hear one that is particularly <laughs> appealing to you, just raise your hand. It's just so let, let I'll do this myself. Uh, lust gluttony, greed, a lot of pious, holy people in the room, I'm just telling you. Sloth, wrath, envy, pride. Too proud to raise your hand, right? It's a problem. When I pursue these impulses, I step away from God's path. I depart from God's will. And, and these sins dehumanize us. They separate us from God by the means of guilt and shame. It's not good. Sin is serious. It's a a bad thing. And over the course of my ministry career, now over 40 years of pastoral ministry, I've heard lots of people confess their sins, all of whom believed that the sin they engaged would make them happy or give them fulfillment or satisfy some need that they had in their life. But just the opposite happens. On a global scale, sin is perhaps the best word to describe the quest for power, genocide, cruelty, inhumanity, bigotry, hate, behind so much of human suffering, the wars that take place. There are some in our world who think that Christians talk about sin too much, that some churches talk about sin too much. And if you're a person who's given to focusing on and obsessing over uh, the behavior of people in our culture and folks who've just left the path so far and... And, and, and you get all worked up about all the, the wrong that's in the world, then you will have missed the point. You will have missed the point. Because the central focus of the gospel is not about how bad we are. The central focus of the gospel is how good God is. The central focus of the gospel is not about sin. The central focus of the gospel is about God's grace and mercy. That's where the amen goes in the sermon. That is really good news. The gospel means good news. And the good news is that God has extended his grace and mercy toward us. So when Christianity speaks of sin, it's not to make us feel guilty, but rather to help us discover the grace and healing mercy of God that we so desperately need. What if you had, what if you suddenly developed chest pains? You know, just a burning sensation or a heaviness in your chest and it kind of went up your neck and down your arm and down your back. What would you do about that? Well, some people just go, ah, it's It's nothing. It's no big deal. I just, I just need to take a drink of water or something. There are people who do this every day, and then they die an early death because their heart was, is bad. And so, if you're wise and you have symptoms like that, you'll go consult a doctor. And if the doctor says to you, "Well, look, we've uh, we've diagnosed your problem. You you have heart disease. Your heart is sick. You need you need help. You need treatment. You you need surgery." Now, hearing that news, what if what if what if you said, you know, you doctors are so negative. You just, you're all the same. Negative, negative, negative. So judgmental, so narrow-minded. In, in fact, you're, this is intolerable. I'm going to go find me a doctor who makes me feel good about my bad heart and makes me feel good about the condition of my, my physical body. Is that what you would do? No, no reasonable person would do that, would they? absolutely not we'd say thank you thank you for diagnosing this problem thank you for helping me Uh, now i have a chance to live a normal life so thank you for all of your help yeah in a similar way watch it now the gospel's focus is not on sin no no it is simply the diagnosis the gospel's focus is on the cure which is god's grace and gift of salvation it's heart surgery if you will conducted by the divine physician who laid down his life for our sins. Praise God. We need forgiveness. Here's a third thing. Write this down. It's on your outline. God's grace, God's grace is a gift. God's grace is a gift. Look on the screen with me at Romans chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. This is, a, a, this is amazing. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now watch this. This is the idea that Jesus was praying from the cross. Forgiveness for us. And that he was even before we were aware of our need, aware of our dependence, aware of our desperation, before God, before any of us even realized our need and turned our back on sin and reached for the hope of God, before any of that happened, God knew those things in advance and forgave us. This was Jesus praying long before any of us were even born for our forgiveness. That's what Paul writes, but God proves his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are people in the room right now, listen to me. This is not judgmental. It's just a fact. You are still in your sins. You've not yet come to terms with your need for God's forgiveness. In fact, the most profound thing I might say today is this. The greatest need in our world is for all of us to realize our need to know our need. And there there are people in the room right now, just by the law of averages, there, there are people in the room, you've not yet come to terms with how acute your need actually is. Here's the good news. When you do, and maybe today is when you do, when you do, good news, Jesus has already forgiven you. in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, forgive them. You've been forgiven for 2,000 years. You just need to accept it for yourself, claim it for your own. That's the hope of the gospel. Wow. Now, there are different ways of understanding redemption, different theories of the atonement. A question that's often asked is, how does Jesus' death on the cross save me from my sins? It's a great question. And there are a number of different theological theories about that, of atonement, how God takes away our sins, but there's a dramatic form of it that we find in the Old Testament. This is in Leviticus chapter 16, you can go and read this for yourself, but this is where God instructed Moses to bring, bring two goats before him. And God said one of the goats will be sacrificed, and the, the other goat will become a scapegoat. And so the high priest chose by lots which would be sacrificed, and the other, and the one that was to be sacrificed, prayers were offered, and this goat received the sins of the people. This happened every year. Then they would butcher the goat and burn it on the altar, and it was a burnt offering before God. It was, a, it was an offering on behalf of the people, kind of a visual apology for their sin and their repentance for their sin. Then the other goat, the scapegoat, the high priest would put his hands on the head of this goat, conferring all of the sins of the people on this goat. And then they would release it into the wilderness, and they would drive it into the wilderness, and the people would watch this goat that represented all of their sin just disappear into the wilderness. And again, this was was an offering on on behalf of the people that was a visual image of, that the people's sins were carried away, that the sins went with the goat. Now we know that, that, that goats literally can't carry away sins, but it was, a, it was a, a symbolic, visual reference for the people so that they could realize the spiritual effect that God had intended for them. That if they repented of their sins and cast their sins upon God and upon a sacrificial offering, that their sins would be carried away, never to be seen again. That's what we've just done this morning. We've performed a sacred act of baptism. This is an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. This is a symbol of what has happened in these young people's hearts. They've said yes to Jesus and received his forgiveness and his redemption And now their sins have been atoned for. And a a symbolic representation of that, a public witness of that, is the sacred act that God commanded and Jesus actually followed and we obey in in obedience to Him that, that we symbolize that we are dead to our old life, we are buried with Christ, and we are resurrected to newness of life. And we give witness to this amazing work of God's grace in our hearts, a spiritual effect in this tangible witness of the sacrament of water baptism. Praise God for His forgiveness. God's grace is a gift. So God God showed us on the cross that all the sins of the world, the hatred, the unfaithfulness, the bigotry, the poverty, the violence, the death, were all placed on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, reminding us that sin is deadly. It's not to be trifled with, not to be dismissed, well, i'm not as bad as the next guy i 'm better than most people i'm not such a bad person i'm a good person god won't judge me because i'm because i'm a pretty decent average person no 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 Don't, you you understand we're not compared to someone else we're not compared to to our friend we're not compared to our family member we're not compared to any other human being. The judgment of God is wholly righteous and pure our- Our judgment would be based on god's holiness, not on some human being and so All of us fall short. All have sinned and come short of God's ideal, His design, His best plan. And so we are all found guilty. We need to know our need. And so sin, we are reminded, is deadly. And grace is not cheap. God wanted us to have a tangible means by which we could express our remorse and by which God could express divine grace. The slaughtered goat and the scapegoat were part of this divine drama meant to reveal the deadliness of sin and the costliness of grace. So when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we are meant to see the costliness of God's grace and that our sin is a serious thing. The seriousness of sin and the grandness of God's grace. It's good preaching right there. A young man had gone off to college only to engage in many self-destructive behaviors, alcohol and drugs, and he was off the way. One night, he was almost killed in a traffic accident, and that brought him to his senses. A local pastor heard someone weeping in his sanctuary. He went into the sanctuary, and he found this young man who had climbed all the way up the chancel through the choir loft to the back wall where a cross was hanging just off the back wall, and he said he found this young man who had his arms around the bottom of the cross in tears. The young man instinctively realizing this was the source of his forgiveness. This was the source of his hope. And he needed merely to claim it for himself. Isn't that a beautiful story? Here's the last point. I want you to get it. Jesus modeled forgiveness. He modeled it. Those of us who choose to follow Jesus must practice forgiveness, just as He did. Here are some verses. I'll put them on the screen for you. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five seven. Jesus said, "Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy." He taught his disciples in Matthew five forty four, "Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." What kind of crazy talk is that? That's crazy talk, isn't it? Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Wow. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Matthew 6:12, "Forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us." He taught them Matthew 6:14, "If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you." You know, forgiveness is the answer to so much pain in the world. Some people speculate that hospitals could be emptied if people would practice forgiveness. Because of the disabling, diseasing producing effect, the stress produced in unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness. Any good therapist will tell you marriages only survive when the partners say to each other on a regular basis, I'm sorry. And the other one says, I forgive you. It holds true in every area of life. If you hold grudges in business, you'll be miserable. If you refuse to forgive friends and neighbors, you'll be isolated and lonely. Everyone in this room knows someone like that. We know forgiveness is important, but it's still very difficult. When it comes to us personally, we ask for mercy. Oh, God, I messed up. Please be merciful to me, a sinner. But when it comes to the person who offends us, what do we want? We want justice. Mercy for me, justice for the offender. And somehow we live easily with a hypocrisy. I am not a hypocrite. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, we are. Because all of us have this instinct. God will be merciful to me. He's going to be just for that guy. (laughs) The courtroom scene in Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice is a profound moment. This is where Portia is pleading for Shylock to offer mercy to Antonio mercy rather than justice and here we have the spectacular words of william shakespeare you all know william Shakespeare. bill bill shakespeare you're familiar with him this is what he wrote the quality of mercy is not strained it droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath it is twice blessed it blesses him that gives and him that takes tis mightiest in the mightiest it becomes the throne monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread of fear in kings. But mercy is above the sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. Having described the quality of mercy and its desirability, Portia comes back to the topic of justice, and she concludes by saying, Though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. Like us, old Shylock, the disciples as well, apparently struggled with forgiveness. One day they asked Jesus, is it, is it right to forgive someone seven times? To which Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Wow. So the prayer of Jesus on the cross is meant to become our prayer, isn't it? Father, forgive them. And if Jesus can pray that prayer under those circumstances, then maybe with his help we can pray it as well. Here's what we know, friends. God knows everything we've ever done. God knows everything we will ever do. God knows everything that that has caused us to feel guilty. God knows everything that we have done and will do that causes us shame. And yet he forgives us. He forgives. Father, forgive them. Perhaps this morning we should pause and pray and contemplate just for a moment the forgiveness of God that is available to us, and the invitation to all of us to extend that same forgiveness to others. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, this morning we reflect on the cross in the context of these beautiful baptisms and the strength of your word. This morning we contemplate the deadliness of sin and the costliness of grace. Lord, we know sin is deadly and grace is not cheap. So we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we confess we need your forgiveness and we acknowledge that your grace is a gift. We receive the love you offer. And now, Lord, we take a moment to think about people who have wronged us. Maybe you can pray this prayer in your heart. Father, forgive them. Father, you know their heart, and you know my pain. So I pray for those who hurt me. Forgive them and heal me. In Jesus' name. And the people said, would you stand with us?